This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. In Luke 22, we read these words, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, if you live long enough, you've at least had a moment in your life of agony where you've looked up to God and asked him to take away something painful from your life. Some of you are asking God to do that tonight. But no one has experienced this kind of of agony that Jesus is experiencing in the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll see up here on the screen that it says, being in agony, he prayed earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So a question would be, what caused this kind of agony in Jesus? What would cause this kind of pain? And in verse 42, He says these words, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So he references a cup. And a question we should ask tonight is, what is this cup that is bringing Jesus so much agony? Well, I need to say that the cup is not the cup from the Last Supper that Jesus has just participated in that you may be familiar with. Nor is it the Holy Grail from Indiana Jones. As much as I love that movie, that's actually medieval folklore. It's actually a symbolic metaphor for something else. And there have been different answers over the years for what this cup is. Some have said, well, it's the physical torture of the cross. After all, the Romans fine-tuned crucifixion to maximize pain and suffering for the criminal. Jesus is considering right here the flogging whip that he's about to endure that in and of itself could kill a man. He's thinking of the nails that would hold him to a vertical post publicly. He's thinking about his soon inability to breathe as his lungs would slowly collapse in on themselves. And he's considering the slow, choking death of it all. Still others have said, well, the cup is surely the betrayal and the, res- and the rejection of Jesus. See, Jesus will be betrayed by one of his closest friends, Have you ever felt the sting of betrayal? He'll be left by all of his disciples in just a little while, and hundreds who followed him would soon scatter in fear. Moreover, he's about to be the victim of a manipulated court system designed to sentence an innocent person to death. 
Still others say, well, what about the shame and the humiliation of the cross? Surely that's the cup that's being in reference here. In Matthew, we read that they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. See, crucifixion wasn't just physically painful. It was humiliatingly painful because it's in front of all your friends and family and anybody who would stick around to watch. Of course, all of those are true, but to understand the full agony of what Jesus is referencing, we need to look at a verse in the Old Testament where Jeremiah talks about the exact same cup, and we're going to have the verse up here on the screen. In Jeremiah 25, The old prophet said, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. And so he writes and says, So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me to drink it. Jerusalem and the city, cities of Judah and its kings and its officials to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse as at this day. Now, the context of what Jeremiah is talking about is that evil had reigned under these bad kings and under these wicked people for years. And for years, people just looked up to the sky and they wondered, is God just? Is God aware? Does God act When these kinds of things happen, is he going to do anything for this? And here God is telling Jeremiah, I am aware and I am just, and they will drink from this cup everything that they put into the cup through their sin and their wickedness. Now, I've never met anyone who didn't want justice against evil. I doubt that you have as well. If you think about the evils of the past, whether that's Hitler or people like that, or the evils of the present, ISIS, child abusers, everybody wants justice, but nobody wants justice against their own evil, their own evil of lying, their own evil of sexual immorality, their own evil of greed, our own evil of hatred, our own evil of prejudice. But for God to be just means that God must appropriately deal with evil in every form. So if we're honest tonight, we all deserve some measure of judgment. We all deserve this cup. Now it's important to know that Jesus is not caught off guard by this moment at all. Jesus is fully God And he didn't stop being fully God when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. He is fully aware of what is happening. It was just as much the plan of Jesus from the beginning as it was his father's for him to be in this place at this moment, about to move forward with their conceived rescue mission. Jesus knows that there's no way for sinners to fix what they've done. Jesus knows that the cup does not belong to him. He is not confused in this moment. But although he is fully God and he knows those things, 
Jesus is also fully human. And in the fullness of his humanity, he takes a moment to pray about the suffering he will experience when he freely takes the cup of the wine of wrath that belongs to us and begins to drink it. Now, whenever you've truly been in agony about something, about something pending, about some fear that you have that's about to come on you, you probably didn't need anybody to remind you to pray. In fact, you probably was the one reminding other people to pray for you. And in this moment of desperation, Jesus needs no reminding as he pours out his heart to his Father. And can we collectively just appreciate this moment for what it is? Before we move on too quickly to the Easter celebrations, and I'm eager to get there, can we just see why his face poured sweat thick and heavy like drops of blood? Can we appreciate the anxiety and the pain that's going on in his soul? As the sun starts to rise over the land, Jesus wakes up his disciples and at the same time, ironically, steps into a darkness that leads to a hill called the skull. You know the story well, but some of the details are fascinating. At 9 a.m. on a Friday morning in Jerusalem, the Son of God begins to drink the cup of the wine of wrath that Jeremiah said would make a person stagger and be crazed when pierced by the sword of judgment. Can you hear the seconds tick by? And the minutes go by, and the hours go by. With each second and with each minute, Jesus is made a desolation, dying alone and dying rejected. Jesus is made a waste, slowly dying outside the camp among the waste and the excrement of the people. Jesus is made a hissing while people scoff at him and mock him even while he's hanging on the cross. Jesus is made a curse, taking on the guilt and the shame of sin. And if you could time travel and just go back there and watch the seconds and the minutes pass by, you would want to change places But knowing what you know, you know that wouldn't solve anything. You could never atone for your own sins, much less the sin of another person, much less the sins of mankind. The best you could do if you were there is to pray for him and ask that the madness would stop and that there would just be an end to this cup, that somehow you could just speed time forward. You would wish that the king of the universe would just call down the angels he has authority over and end all the scoffing and the humiliation or at least cover his nakedness. You'd stare in disbelief at people who are laughing and gambling at his clothes. Now after three hours at 12 p.m., something changes. The Bible says the whole atmosphere changes. It says that there's darkness over the entire Land And for three hours, darkness and sadness, listen, cover the sun. 
As Jesus is dying, the whole creation won't allow any light to shine. And then finally, the end is near. Jesus is about to die and some very strange things happen. There's this earthquake. And then the curtain of the temple that separated people from God's very presence is torn in half from top to bottom. And then Jesus says these words, it is finished. He's able to muster out those words before he gives up his spirit, which somebody said is an ocean of meaning and a drop of language. Now, when he says it is finished, when he says it is completed before he gives up his spirit, he's referencing the cup that he prayed about in the garden. And now a light bulb should go off in our hearts. When we go back to the garden and we watch Jesus stare into the cup and to drink the cup, we realize that we're staring into the very heart of God. We've all sinned. We deserve the cup of judgment. But the gospel message is that whoever acknowledges that, who owns up to that reality and that truth and trusts in Jesus alone is free from the cup of judgment because Jesus already took it for you. He took it. The good news of Good Friday is that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took the full weight, all of it, the full weight of our sin and shame so that we could live free from fear and free from shame and free from condemnation. The old pastor Charles Spurgeon said it this way. We're going to have it up here on the screen. He said, the whole of the punishment of his people was distilled into, listen to this, one cup. No mortal lip might give it so much as a solitary sip When he put it on his own lips, it was so bitter, he said, let this cup pass from me. But his love for his people was so strong that he took the cup in both his hands and in one tremendous drink of love, he drank damnation dry for all his people. He drank it all He endured it all. He suffered all so that now and forever there are no flames of hell for them. No racks of torment. They have no eternal woes. None. Christ hath suffered all they ought to have suffered. And they must and shall go free. I love that phrase. They must It's impossible for them not to go free because he drank condemnation and drank damnation dry. And if you've never heard the good news, listen, can I just have the privilege of announcing this good news to you? Jesus drank condemnation and damnation dry. There is nothing in your past that he can't forgive you of. There is no scar that can't be healed that you're bearing tonight. There's no weight on your shoulders that he can't lift off of you. There's no fear of the future that he can't free you from. Some of you came here tonight, and the question behind a lot of other questions is, does God care about me? Does he love me? Is he aware of me? Does he take thought of me? And the reason that we doubt is because we're asking God to prove his love the way we think would be the clearest for us. 
We think it would just be so clear if it was through this promotion or this healed relationship. Or God, if you would just fix this one thing in my life, then I would know that I would, it would be so clear, it would be so obvious that you're for me, that you're with me, and that you love me. But what if God desires us to see his love in the clearest way tonight? In the absolute clearest way possible that would cast off any doubts that would be so much louder than all the other ways that he whispers his love to us? What if he's shouting his love at us tonight? And what if it's shouting at us through the cross? We're about to sing a song and the song goes like this. One, one line in the song says, Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.